Well, this morning, um, I know that well, we have some folks back uh, from college after taking their final exams. Anyone back from your, your school year's over? Can you raise your hand so that we can just recognize y'all? All right. Let's, um, okay, if you're back from school, raise your hand. Let's give them a round of applause for working so hard. That was the encouragement. Now here's the hard part. I'm going to give you a quiz this morning. I'm going to start out with a quiz, a BFF quiz. Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to name a famous person, and if you can, tell me who their famous uh, best friend is, all right? We'll start easy. Let's go Batman. <laughs> I mean, that's too easy. What are you going to like? I just went to college for that. All right. Um, Buzz Lightyear. Woody, okay, this is too easy. Uh, okay, let's go a little bit harder. Let's go with uh, Chandler Bing. Joey, okay, or Ross, okay, good. There's a group of friends. Uh, you guys know this one, Thelma. Oh, good, Thelma Louise, good. Um, how about how about uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon? Good, good, good. Okay, so some of you guys are like, who are these people? Uh, Abed, huh? Troy, Troy in a bed. You guys know that show? I don't know. I looked up famous best friends on the internet and that like showed up on multiple sites. Troy in a bed. From what show is that? Community. Okay, good, good, good. Troy in a bed. Um, okay. Here's, here's a biblical one. A biblical one. David. Jonathan. Goliath. <laughs> Who said Goliath? Gosh, you don't raise your hand. <laughs> what a terrible friend. He killed his own friend. Okay, that is what a friend ought not to be. Let's pray. All right, so David and Jonathan. Some of y'all are, who in the world are David and Jonathan? David and Jonathan are two friends in the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk much. It doesn't really talk much about people who are friends. I mean, you might be able to name a couple. But one place that it does talk about friendship is in the relationship between David and Jonathan. Last week... For those of you who are new, you can see we're talking about this idea that everything in the Bible is it's all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament was either preparing for Jesus or predicting the coming of Jesus. Everything in the New Testament either reveals Jesus or it reflects the life of Christ, right? Everything in the Bible, everything in this book, it says throughout Scripture, everything in the Bible is all about Jesus. If you look at that graphic, incidentally, I don't know if you can read those words, but those basically it's taking the first verse of every book of the Bible and it's throwing it up there and it's saying that all of this is about Jesus. Right? Pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. But it is all about Jesus. He's the hero. He is the hero of the story of Scripture. He's a, he's a hero of this, of this world. He's a hero of history. And so last week, we were, we're looking at this guy, David, and his, uh, he fought 1 Samuel 17. He fought who some people think is his best friend, Goliath. wasn't his best friend. He was actually a pain in the backside of the Israelites for 40 days. He fought Goliath, and he defeated him. Okay? He, he, he killed Goliath. In the aftermath of that, remember what was supposed to happen this all took place when David was probably a teenage teenager, maybe in his early 20s, but he became king at the age of 30, uh, 30 young 30s. So um, he was very young at the time, probably the age of some of our younger people here. So when he killed Goliath, he was in that, that, that age. It was during the period, the early period of the monarchy of Israel, it means there was the first king of Israel. His name was 
Saul, okay, he was the first king of Israel, and it was during his reign that this all happened, okay? So you've got Saul as a king, and the, the, the thing that we talked about last week was that the guy who was supposed to fight Goliath was Saul, because that's what kings do. In fact, the description of Goliath and the description of Saul are somewhat similar in that Saul was a head taller than everybody else. He was supposed to be their champion, but he was scared to fight. And so for 40 days, they would line up at the Valley of Elah. Goliath would rise up and he would say, who's going to fight me? And Saul would chicken out and he'd say, not me. Somebody else wanted to do it and nobody wanted to do it. And then this little shepherd boy comes rolling up from, from, from the, the fields and he says, I'll fight this guy. If you're a king and your nation is on the line, what do you do? Do you send this shepherd boy to fight? What does Saul do? He says, here's my armor. Go for it, dude. He's a great king, isn't he? But because God was with David... David knocked Goliath in his big old head, and he fell, and Israel was delivered. It's a great day for the Israelites. So think about your, your King Saul. You're walking back from war. Instead of becoming enslaved <clears throat> to your worst enemies, they've now become subject to you. You're walking back with all this. This should be a great day, but it's not. Because as they get back, the fighting men get back to the, the quote-unquote fighting men get back to their town all the ladies are out there, and they're celebrating, and they're singing their praises. Like, Saul, you the man. They probably, they, they, heard, they knew what, what happened. But like, Saul, you are the man. Right? In Hebrew, this is what they said. They said what? They said, Atahaish, you are the man because you killed your thousands. And so Saul's feeling pretty good about himself. But the next line in the song says, but David, he's killed his tens of thousands. So Saul, the king, the man, head taller, handsome, gorgeous, military hero, all of a sudden he becomes insanely jealous of this young shepherd boy, David, who did what he should have done but couldn't. And so here's Saul, that's chapter 17. Chapter 18, Saul starts getting psycho, starts getting jealous. You know people like this? Maybe you, you dated somebody who um, just had an, had an ex, and that ex starts getting psycho and starts plotting all these weird things. This is kind of Saul. He's like jealous. He's in a fit of rage. And all craziness breaks loose. And so we're going to pick up the story of, of, of uh, David and Jonathan, who incidentally is the son of the king. He's the son of Saul. Right? And it's, it's the story of their friendship. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to jump to chapter 20 and read a couple passages from there. But this is God's word as it's explaining <clears throat> excuse me, about this true historical figure David, a true historical figure Jonathan and their friendship. It says in, in verse 1, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, so after this happens, David finds out that Saul is trying to kill him. Right, not, not one time, not two times, but six times. Anyone ever tried to kill you? <laughs> six times, right? This cat, the king, tries to kill David. And so David's like, dude, Jonathan, your dad is psycho, right? This guy is a nutcase. Chapter 20, verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father 
by this time, the day after tomorrow. He's just finding out, hey, you're going to kill David or not? If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. So Jonathan's like, dude, when, you, when all this stuff happens, don't kill me. Right? Why would he tell his friend not to kill him? Right? If your friend is like Goliath, then yeah, maybe. But that doesn't really happen. You don't kill your friends. Why is he saying, hey, swear to me that you're not going to kill me? Because in those days when a king would replace another king, it was protocol that any successors of that previous kingly line would be killed in order that there be no threats to the throne. And so Jonathan is saying, David, please don't kill me. Then jump down to chapter, same chapter, verse 41. Uh, Jonathan asks, his dad, hey, you're going to kill David? He finds out, yeah, he's going to kill you. Verse 41 to the end of the chapter, it says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for you have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Okay, um, jump one last, one last passage, chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. This is, David has <clears throat> been the victim of Saul's attack. Saul's tried to kill him many occasions. Verse 15, while David was at Horish in the de- desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Again, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The Lord, that two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. This would be the last time the two would ever see each other again. This is God's word. What's happening here? Chapter 18, we began in chapter 18, the story of David and Jonathan's friendship. We don't know how long they've been friends. We don't know how they met, how they got to know each other. But in verse 18, it begins the story of their friendship. Throughout the next six chapters and beyond, you'll see David, his life is in danger. And on many occasions, psycho Saul is going to try and kill David. At the end of this, at the end of their relationship, chapter 23, we see another covenant being made. The same covenant begins with a covenant, it ends with a covenant. Why? This is Hebrew narrative. This is what they do. When they're bracketing a section off, they begin and end in the same way. Why? What's it trying to say? Here's what it's trying to say. I asked this question to you, right? Have you ever been, someone ever tried to kill you? Someone ever tried and kill you six times? Someone ever, not just a death threat, but they literally threw spears at you. They sent men to get you. 
You had to live in that kind of fear. If that happened one time, I've never, I, I, I've never experienced this myself, and Lord willing, I never will, but I've heard of people, I know people who have. And, and the stress that they deal with of the psycho person living in their home who could at any point go ballistic on them, that is a highly stressful and tenuous and vulnerable situation. And what the author is saying, this is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, the reason why it begins chapter 18, the friendship of David with a covenant, it ends the friendship, Jonathan and David in chapter 23 with a covenant is saying, because David, the only way he could have survived all this is that he was bracketed by the friendship that he had with Jonathan. I think this is the power of the friendship that Jonathan offered to David that apart from him, he wouldn't have been able to survive the attacks of Saul. You, could, you, you know it because Jonathan's like, hey, David, you got to go. My dad's trying to kill you. And he constantly told him as a friend, this is what you got to do. We all know this is no secret, the power of friendship, don't we? Now, you know the power of friendship. You see in all these articles, all these studies, that the more intimate friendships you have, the better your health, the higher your immune system, the longer you live. They did studies of people in, in hospitals, just controlled studies, people in hospitals, one with a lot of friends, some with a, one group with a lot of friends, one group with a little bit of friends, and the, the incidence of people dying, people with friends, it just drastically decreased. They lived a whole lot longer. It's the power of friendship. Do you have a friend like that? As we went through Woody and Buzz Lightyear, Batman and Robin, all these people, who would your best friend be? Like, do you have someone like that? And if I were to ask someone else the question, would your name come up? So this morning, I want to talk about friendship for a little bit. And ultimately, as we do every week, we'll see how it points us to Jesus. But the first thing that friends do from a biblical perspective, that friends seek to give rather than to get. Chapter 18, verse 1. You got David, you got Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of the king. David has just defeated Goliath. He's become the greatest Israeli hero, the Israelite hero. He's the all-Israeli boy. All the people are sweating him. They're all talking about him. You're the man and all these things. And here's Jonathan. And you would expect at least a little bit of jealousy, right? A little bit of maybe, man, if... If I ride David's coattails, then I might go into glory as well. If people just, if they just know me as David's best friend, then hey, uh, maybe all these ladies that are cheering for David, they might, some of them might come to me by default. There's nothing like that in here. Everything about Jonathan, as you read, the first thing it says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, verse 1. He became one in spirit with David. That is just two bodies, one spirit, two people with one heart. Right? They just they understand each other. They feel each other. I, was, I remember last year we were in, in Ecuador um, on, a, on our Ecuador mission trip. And one of the nights they took us out to the stadium and they said, we want to play some Ecuadorian games. And we were playing these Ecuadorian games. And one of the not Ecuadorian games that we played, they wanted to do a three-legged race. And so you know what a three-legged race is. It's where you have a partner and they tie your legs together as if you've got three legs. Right? And so you've got to walk all the way down. And they, they're Ecuadorian. I think they have better lungs than we do they live up in quito and so that the we had the literally three-legged race like it was a mile away we're like we got to go how far now they're like all the way and then and then come back i was like you kidding me so um here i was and 
uh, we're all pairing up in the partners. And so my, my partner was uh, our former worship pastor, uh, Pastor Albert. And so we were paired up together. They tied our legs together. I'm like, dude, this is going to be a piece of cake. No problem, right? I've done three-legged races before when I was like eight years old. I've done this before. And so they took off. And I said, all we got to do, we just got to count. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, all the way down like a mile. And then we do it all the way back. And so uh, we're like laughing. Oh, this is gonna be, we're going to smoke these Ecuadorians. Um, but we didn't. We got crushed. We got destroyed. We got dominated. I think it was a bad choice because I'm like Saul to, compared to the rest of the Israelites. My head taller than him, so my legs are longer. And my one is like, like three of his. But in a three-legged race, okay, in a three-legged race, when you fall, the other person falls. When you go, the other person goes. When you hurt, the other person hurts. When you're slowed down, the other person slowed down. This is what it means to be one in spirit. That what the other person feels, you feel. What moves them, moves you. And you move together as one. It says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Are you someone like that to someone else? Where what they feel, you feel that. And you're moved by it. But it goes on and it says, he loved him as himself. It says at the end of verse 1, it says that at the beginning of verse 3, made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And you love someone as yourself, then as much as you want that for you, you want that for them. Right? There's no jealousy in that. David is the king. If you love him as yourself, he's saying, I, I would like that kind of praise and adulation, but because I love him as much as I love myself, I want David to have that. That's what Jonathan is saying. See, friends seek to give more than they seek to get. He's not looking for anything. And then he says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A covenant, it doesn't say Jonathan made a contract with David. The contract, we all know this, this terminology of contracts, right? Oh, I've got a cell phone contract, or I've got a, I've got a housing contract, or I've got a cable TV contract. They're like, just break that contract. Oh, I can do that? Yeah, you've got to pay a fee, but you can break it. Why would I? What's my reason? Because they didn't give you good enough service or because you found a better deal. This is the language of contracts, isn't it? If you fi- it's, you're committed to it as long as it works for you. But if you find a better deal, a better service, a lower price, then you can bail on it. And maybe you've got friends like that. But that's not the kind of relationship that Jonathan forged with David. Because he made a covenant with him. A covenant is a one-sided deal. Ultimately, it's two-sided. But it says, even if you jack up your end of the bargain, I'm still being committed to you. I'm still going to be completely self-giving. Everything that I am, it's not, hey, you meet me 50-50. It's not, you scratch my... See, the language of, the language of, of covenant, it's okay to say, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's fine. But here's where covenant is different from a contract. The contract says, if you stop scratching my back, then I'm going to stop scratching yours. But a covenant doesn't say that. Covenant says, even if you stop scratching my back, I'm going to be committed to you no matter what. And this is what Jonathan was to David. Because no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I'll be completely committed to you. You want to be a good friend? Here's the first thing you have to understand is you got... <laughs> this is going to be overly simplistic. But if you want to be a good friend, you need to learn how to love. And love seeks to give before it seeks to get. That's why the best 
marriages don't begin with romance. They begin with friendship. Because long after the romance fades, it's going to have to go back to friendship. Because friendship always seeks to give and doesn't seek to get. You want to know how you're ready for a romantic relationship? Here, this is, again, bonus time here. This is how you know. If you're in it, not because you need something from other people, but because you're ready to give yourself away to somebody else. Because love always seeks to give and doesn't seek to get. You ever been in a relationship with someone? Maybe they're great looking. Maybe they're, they're super intelligent. Maybe they're the most charming guy in the world, but they always want from you. You're not going to want to be in that relationship very long. Because they're not ready for it. Yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense because you said I should always be giving. Yeah, you should always be giving. But you want to be in a relationship with somebody right, who's of maturity, whose maturity level is ready for them to be able to give themselves away. The heart of Jonathan was, I want to give myself fully to David, and it doesn't matter that no one recognizes me. It doesn't matter that everybody's giving him all the praise. That was his friendship. He was content to let David be everything that he was meant to be. I, <clears throat> I remember being at um, a funeral a, few, uh, a couple years back for one of our, our harvesters. It was his mom, and there was a slideshow, and the slideshow showed pictures of that family together after his mom had passed away, and there were different songs that were playing. And um, this person um, was, in a worldly sense, was successful. It showed his high school graduation, his college graduation, his profession, his graduate school graduation. And, and as he was playing, as the, the pictures were going by, it played this song. And it's, cause the song comes from a movie called, called Beaches, which is another similar story about um, these two women who were just, they were, they were friends. They had this up and down rocky relationship. One of them was a struggling singer before she made it big. Another was a lawyer who worked hard. And, and they had this like love-hate relationship. But at the end of it, the one lady who was a lawyer, has, she's a single mother and she's about to die. And looking back, sitting on the beach, looking back at their life, the singer begins to sing this song. And this is, this is the song that they sang. This is the song that played at the slideshow. And I think this is the song um, that David would have sung to Jonathan. Because it must have been cold there in my shadow to never have sunlight on your face. You were content to let me shine. That's your way. You always walked a step behind. So I was the one with all the glory while you were the one with all the strength. A beautiful face without a name for so long. A beautiful smile to hide the pain. It might have appeared to go unnoticed. But I've got it all here in my heart. I want you to know that I know the truth. Of course I know it. I would be nothing without you. And the chorus goes, did you ever know that you're my hero? And everything I would like to be. I can fly higher than an eagle because you are the wind beneath my wings. And this is a powerful, powerful picture of what friendship can do for another person. 
and just lift them higher than they could ever be by themselves. If David didn't have Jonathan, the story of his life would have been completely different. The trajectory of his life completely different. Are there people who can say that about you? That because of Hannah, man, at, on their deathbed, they say, did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I would wish to be. They say that about you. Do they say that about Chris? They say that about Jessica, that you are the wind beneath my wings. See, the first thing that friends do is they seek to give and not to get. Second thing, second thing that friends do is friends are committed even when it hurts, even when it is costly. Fill in the blank here. You, you, you know what the answer is. A friend in need is a friend indeed, right? That's a famous saying. When I Googled this, you know what I found? I found a lot that said a friend in, in need is a friend indeed. But two other things that came up. It says a friend in need is a pest indeed. That's one thing. And a friend in need is annoying. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? But how could it degenerate so badly from a friend in need, that's a true friend. When I'm in need, that's what a true friend is, versus when I'm in need, I'm just annoying to people. How did it degenerate? Because our understanding of friendship has changed and evolved. Can I say devolved through the years? 25 years ago, a study was put out, and it said that the average person in America had three close friends. There's a study done by Columbia University uh, this past year that says that the average American today has 2.03 close friends. Our understanding, our number of friends has decreased while the average number of Facebook friends is 338 as of this year. 338 friends but only two friends. Really easy to be friends with people these days, isn't it? On social media. Now you met them once, bam, they're my friend. Your friend knows them, bam, they're my friend. Oh, you know, they are in my, you know, they went to my elementary school five years after me, so they're my friend. It's easy to become friends with people these days, isn't it? But how many times do you read? I know that a lot of y'all young, uh, younger ones don't do Facebook anymore, but just humor us for a little bit. Pretend you do. How many times have you seen a friend's status on Facebook? It's like a cry for help. I mean, just kind of gloss over it because you're trying to get to the next cool picture of somebody's lunch. Right? How is that? Right? How has our understanding of friendship evolved into, degenerated into something like that. See, the picture that's painted here, that David in his time of greatest need called on Jonathan and Jonathan was there for him. I'm going to try and find this, this verse here. Um, in chapter 20, uh, David is wondering, hey, you know what, Jonathan, your dad is, is nutty and I think he wants to kill me. So Jonathan goes and he talks to his dad and he says, hey, dad, um, David's a good dude. Right? He's a good guy. He's my friend. Don't kill him. And Saul, this is what it, in verse 32, chapter 20, verse 32. This is Jonathan speaking. 
says, why should he, David, be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. If that's not a dead giveaway, then, hey, why are you trying to kill him? Here, shoots a gun at you. Oh, okay, yeah, David, he's trying to kill you. But Jonathan was a friend to David, even when it cost him the risk of his life. When our friends are in need, you see, that's when friendship is proven, not in times of convenience, but in times where they're in need, in times where others may think they're just being annoying. That's when friendship is tested. Your friends say, hey, you know what? He is a guy that I would call at three in the morning if I was having a breakdown. You know what? She's the kind of person that I could talk to at two in the morning if all heck was breaking loose in my home. Are you the kind of person like that? Or if you're a college student, they're the kind of person I'd call at six in the morning. (laughs) Are you that kind of a person? Or do people think, you know what? I can't bother them. Because last time I did, they just yelled at me. They told me I was annoying. They said I'm a pest. Friendship is proven when it's inconvenient and there's a cost. My children, Elijah, Manny, Elisa's too little to talk about yet, but Elijah and Manny, they're they're little. We try to teach them and and raise them in the things of the Lord, but they're not role models of biblical virtue yet. Um, they're, They're getting there. I think that they both love their little sister because their little sister doesn't cost them anything, but as soon as she does, then they'll probably start biting her and things like that. But for now, it's just the two of them. And they have this beautiful relationship at times, and other times it's not so great. Um, We always tell Manny that you need to share with Elijah because he can't talk and he doesn't know anything. And you have to teach him what it means to share and teach him what it means to be a good boy and teach him what it is to make good choices and to be patient and to listen to mom and dad. And and for the most part, she does that. So we say, Manny, can you, you know, go play with Elijah? So she'll take him and she'll play and And they'll have a great time for a little bit until something happens. And usually Elijah does something that Manny doesn't like. And so we say, okay, hey, go play play Play-Doh. And and they'll play play Play-Doh out in the garage until Elijah tries to steal the color that Manny wants. And then Manny doesn't want to play this anymore. So she walks in and says, Elijah's being bad. Or there are times where um, Manny will, oh, Elijah, Elijah, let's play Frozen. Because whoever will listen to her, she wants to play Frozen with them. And she wants to play Frozen with them until Elijah wants to be Elsa, and then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't want to play anymore. Right? Like, no, you're Olaf, you're Olaf, you're Olaf. And he's just like, Elsa, and he's like knocking on the door. Oh. She'll give him a cookie as long as he doesn't eat too big a bite. And so when he, she gets annoyed, when it starts costing her too much, I don't want to play with Elijah anymore. And so she created this song. It's a one-line song, and it just repeats over and over and over and over, kind of like the songs that some of us used to sing when we were like eight years old in in, in elementary school. She wrote this song, and this is how it goes. When she doesn't want to play with Elijah, she says, Please don't follow me. I don't want you to. That's what she sings to him. She sings that over and over. Please don't follow me. I don't want you to. We're like, Manny, what's going on? Because as soon as it starts costing her something, I don't want to play with Elijah anymore. It's kind of funny when they're four, but it's not as funny 
when we're 18, we're 16, we're 20, we're 30, we're 40. At that point, that is a, it's a test of our friendship. It's a test of what kind of a friend we are. Are we a friend only when times are good, or are we a friend even when it costs us? Isn't that what Buzz Lightyear said in Toy Story 2? He says, friends risk their lives for each other. And it goes on this great speech about how they're going to rescue Woody from the clutches of that Cheeto-fingered chicken man. Right? Friends risk their lives for each other. That's what they do. Right? They're willing to be a friend even when it costs them something. Does your friendship have its limits? That until, if I can get something... Or as long as it's, it's, there's no cost, I'm okay. But when I start having to pay for it, when it begins to test and put a strain on our relationship, it does. We have to think about the kind of friendships that we have. There was, um, in 1947, Jackie Robinson, the baseball player. I love, I love baseball. I love everything about baseball. Jackie Robinson um, was the first non, he was the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. So he just broke the color barrier, opened up opportunities in all of the major sports for people who are not white, Caucasian people. And so 1947, he, he broke into the league, and, and obviously with segregation and, and all of this stuff, nobody wanted him to, to play. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers and teammates and, and, and fans. They heckled him to, like, to everywhere he went. So it was a second road series, and, and there was a movie, uh, a biography of his life called 42 that came out a couple years back, and it shows this scene. It's a little bit different than the way it really happened. But they're playing in Cincinnati. It was a second road series of his first year playing. So it's just fresh. Everyone's getting their fresh look at this guy that they want to they basically stone. And he's being heckled, and he's being jeered, he's being made fun of, and people are, are, have their death threats against him and his family. And he's playing in, in Cincinnati against the Reds, and um, he was famous for being a second baseman, but that first year he played first base. And as he was playing, he made an error. Like, he, he, he muffed the ball, and the, the fans in Cincinnati just started going crazy on him, just, like, railing him and giving him all kinds of, of high water and yelling at him and all these things. And so you can imagine being, you're in the, in the middle of a baseball field, right? You're sitting there. You're the sole African-American, right? Not even that. You're the sole non-white person in a sea of white people, right? In that field, everyone is looking at you, tens of thousands of people, and they're staring at you, and they're calling you names. They're taunting you. And from across the infield, right, a good old boy from Kentucky, their shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, right? All-star, Hall of Famer, team captain walked across the baseball diamond and he put his arm around Pee Wee Reese. And the crowd just died down. And to the people nearest him who were heckling Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee just stared at them until they stopped talking. I want to read to you some, some quotes from his wife, Jackie Robinson's wife. This is what she said. That I remember, this is Rachel Robinson, I remember Jackie talking about Pee-wee's gesture the day it happened. It came as such a relief to him that a teammate, the captain of the team, would go out of his way in such a public fashion to express friendship. This is what Jackie Robinson, this is Jackie himself in a biography by Arnold Rampersand. This is what he said. He said, Pee-wee sensed the sort of helpless, dead, 
healing in me and came over and stood beside me for a while. He didn't say a word, but he looked over at the chaps who were yelling at me and just stared. He was standing by me. I could tell you that, and I will never forget it. Jackie Robinson said, I I was going to throw in the towel. He said, that act saved my career. What did it mean for Pee Wee Reese? This is what his son said. He said, my father had done his own soul searching. He knew that many fans, many teammates, and yes, even family members didn't want him to play with a black man. But my father listened to his heart and not to the chorus. That's a powerful picture of friendship, isn't it? And that's what David, I'm sorry, that's what Jonathan did for David. He put his neck on the line, risked his life for him. And David would say the same thing that Jackie Robinson said. He said, that saved my life. Can you be a friend even when it costs you? The second thing that friends do, the last thing friends do is friends help each other get closer to God. 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, again, I'm going to read this. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. This is um, such a powerful verse to me. Help them find strength in God. The end result of Jonathan's friendship to David is that David, he finds out that his life is in danger. Jonathan gets with him, and at the end of the time, David is not only strengthened, but he finds strength in God. Do your friends say that you help them find strength in God? What do you do? Where do you lead people when they're going through a hard time? He didn't lead him to find strength in David. A lot of friends say, hey, you know what? You can do it. You can do it. Just buck up. You're going to make it through. You're strong. You're a good person. You're a person of character. You can do it. But what if you can't? Jonathan didn't help David find strength in David. Nor did he say, you know what? Hey, David, we're going to do this together. You can lean on me. You can trust in me. Maybe at some point he said that, but that's not where it ended because Jonathan would leave him. What did he do? Where did he find his strength? He helped him find his strength in the only place that would sustain him even when the friendship was done. He helped him find strength in God. This is because Jonathan understood. David knew in the past when David was a shepherd boy and the lion and the bear came at him, where did he find strength to overcome? It wasn't an, oh, you know, I'm David, I'm the... I'm a strong man and I can beat these guys. No. He found his strength in God. When David went to the front lines to fight the giant Goliath, where was his strength? 
It wasn't in a slingshot. It wasn't in a rock. It wasn't in this method. It was in God himself. Jonathan knew that the only place that David could find strength was in God and in God alone. And you and I need to know this too. The only place where your friends are going to find strength that will last them is in God alone. Listen, I know in my heart of hearts that when I'm going through a hard time, I don't need someone to tell me how good I am and how strong I am and how all you can do it. I don't need that. I don't need someone to come alongside of me and say, I love you. I love you so much. I don't need that. I need someone to point my eyes upwards to see Jesus so that I can find my strength in him. That's what I need. That's what I need. And that's what you need also. The best friends that I've had are the people who will do that, who will call me out when I need to be called out, but they will lift my eyes upwards to find my hope in the gospel and to find my strength in him. That's what friends do. You can, you can call yourself whatever you want, but if you're a follower of Christ and you don't lead your friends to find strength in God, then according to a biblical definition, you're not being a friend. And I'm not making this up. This is what the word of God says. You can call yourself whatever you want. Maybe you'll be a Facebook friend. Maybe you'll be a Facebook close friend. But according to a biblical definition, you're not a true friend if you're not helping people find their strength in God. What every parent needs to do, every spouse needs to do. We don't know how it happened. We don't know how it happened, but I know how it does happen. It happens when you pray for somebody. And have you ever prayed with your friend? Have you ever prayed with your spouse? It happens when you share the word of God with them, the things that are convicting you, challenging you, something that you've learned that helped you through that experience that they're going through when you went through that same thing, to share the word of God with them, to sing a praise song with them, to lift their eyes upwards, to lead them in a time of worship, whatever it is, but to to get them to Jesus. Because that's the longing and the need of every human heart. That's why everything that we do, everything that's geared in our worship services at the end of the day, not to get you to look at yourself and say, I need to do this more, but to get you out if you're looking at Jesus. And yeah, we need to do things in obedience, but to do so because we find that Jesus is the one in whom we find our strength and to find that he's worthy and as a worshiper of him, that he's all that I need. And out of love for him, out of his love for me, it's joyful and glad for me to give my life to him. That's what we need. That's what your friends need. The motto of biblical friendship, you hear me say this all the time, is that at the end of it all, and I think Jonathan would say this, he said, David, if at the end, when we parted paths, when you looked at my life, when you looked at our friendship, if you remember me, David, and you forget Jesus, then I failed you. And you've lost everything. But if at the end of it all, you forget about me, but you remember Jesus, then you've lost nothing, and my mission is complete. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? That people say, you know what, I don't, you don't stand at your friend's wedding, but at the end of it all, they were made better and they love Jesus more. Are you okay with that? If you don't get to do eulogy at their funeral or at, that, at your funeral, they don't, they don't say these glowing things, is that okay? That they don't talk about you in that way, but they say that you led them to Jesus. Is that enough? Is that good enough? is what David did. The old song, Jonathan did, the old song says, friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. Friend will not say never. Welcome will not end. Don't you want a friend like Jonathan? Wouldn't it be great to have a friend like Jonathan? 
someone who every intention of their heart is to give themselves away to you and not seeking to get anything from you. They don't call you up to ask you for a favor. They just, they just want to give you something. They call you up because they say, I want to drop something off at your house. They want a friend like Jonathan, even when it hurts them. They're willing to pay the price for you because they love you as themselves. Helps you find your strength in God, connects you to God, draws you closer to God. Tell you what, you've got one so much better than Jonathan. I know, I know, I know, Jesus. If you understand this, it will change your life. It will literally change your life if you can understand the kind of friend that Jesus is to you. Not just, yeah, I know it. Yeah, Jesus is a friend. He's a friend next to you. Jesus is a friend, so sing la la. Not that kind of an understanding, but but like you you know as if amazing love, I know it's true. Like I know it's true. I will build my life upon this truth. It is a bedrock conviction that I will lay my life down because I know that this is true. John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this. He says, there is no greater love. A person cannot have a greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus does the unthinkable that would shake the hinges, the doors off the hinges of every Jewish house if they had doors. He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friend. It's unthinkable for a rabbi to call their disciple a friend. But that's what Jesus does. He did it for the 12, even though these friends would be the worst friends that a man could know. In his moment of greatest weakness, I need you guys. They fell asleep. When he was hanging on a cross, dying, and everyone was making fun of mocking him, scorning him, yelling at him, beating him, They fled him. And yet to the point of death, Jesus remained faithful to them. And Jesus remained faithful to us. The Son of Man, Mark 10, 45, did not come to be served, but he came to serve you and me and to give his life as a ransom for many. The only way that we could get to the only one who could give us help was if Jesus Christ laid down his life and shed his blood for us. You know that in your moment of greatest need, when you feel like David, when death threats are around you, that you've got a friend who doesn't call you annoying, who's waiting for you to come to him, who loves you with an everlasting love, who proved his love not by saying it, not by writing you a poem, not by friending you on Facebook, but by laying down his life and shedding his blood for you. Guys, if we get this, if you know this in your heart and you begin to live with Jesus as your friend, it will, it will, it will change everything about your life. One of, the, one of the first things it will do, you'll no longer be so needy. Can you just be honest? You'll no longer be so needy. I need a friend. I need a girlfriend. I need a boyfriend. You know what you need at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day? You need Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need. That's what you need. He's the one. A lot of us are looking for Mr. Right, Miss Right, when we're really we're looking for Jesus. 
He's the one that can give us what our hearts long for. And if we believe this, it's going to change our lives. In death, in life, in marriage, in singleness, in, in, in good times and in bad times. And you know what else it will do? If you really know this, not only will it change you because he's your friend, when you know this, you're going to become the kind of friend that every friend longs to have. Because if you know that Jesus is doing that for you, you don't need to receive it from other people. You're getting it that you can give yourself away to other people. And if you have Jesus, you have the best friend. If you have Jesus, you can be the best friend. Uh, My friends, Jesus and Christianity is not a religion of things that you need to do and don't do. The first thing that happened when we sinned, when sin entered the world, is not that rules were broken, that relationship was broken. It's a relationship. It is a relationship. It is a relationship. It's not a coming to church. It's not doing the right things. It's not avoiding the wrong things. It's not going to the right places and avoiding the wrong places. It's not about... It's not even about doing the Ten Commandments. It's a relationship first. I'm going to give an invitation for any who want to give their lives to Jesus as the friend and the Savior and the Master of their lives. Just a couple moments. I want you to think about this. Maybe you think you're going to heaven or you think you're a Christian because you're at church or because you identify yourself with other Christians. The Bible says that's not what it is. That coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. This is what the ancients said. Any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. It's just a place you're at. How do we become a Christian? It's a relationship. It's about you saying, I want to become one in spirit with Jesus by asking you to come into my life and to be my Savior and to be my Lord and to be my friend. Maybe a lot of us, some of us, one of us are here and we're saying, yeah, you know what? For me, Christianity is something that I was born into, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never invited him to do that, to be my Lord, to be my friend, to be my forgiver. I'm going to ask us to think about that for just a minute right now. Then after a minute, I'm going to give an invitation, just a prayer for anyone who wants to put their trust in Jesus, that he could be your friend. For those of us in here who already confess Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, pray that God help me to know you, to know your Son as the truest friend in my life, as the best friend of my life. Help me to know you in growing intimacy so that I can be this kind of a friend. And let's pray for that for just a minute, half a minute. And let's pray that to the Lord. Continue to pray. For those of us in here, as you have heard this, you realize that, you know what? Jesus isn't in my heart as my Savior and as my King and as my friend. 
Maybe I thought he was, but I think he's not. But I want to give my life to him now. If that's you with all of us praying and with our eyes closed, if, if that's you, I just ask that you raise your hand from where you are. Okay. Thank you, couple. Fellas in the back, see you guys, thanks. Way. Okay, I see you in the back. Thank you. The young lady back there. Okay, see you in the front. Praise the Lord. Yeah, there's about four people so far. If there's anyone else, yeah, I need Jesus in my life. I want to begin a relationship with Him. us to pray together. I'm just going to pray a prayer that you can just confess in your heart. Jesus says, believe in your heart. Confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. Would you pray with me and make this your own prayer? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are a faithful friend, a friend like no other, who loved me even when I was far from you, who loved me even when I rebelled against you, who loved me even when I proverbially slapped you in your face and spit on you. It was my sin that put you on the cross because I wanted to live for other gods. And I turned away from you, not only breaking rules, but breaking a relationship. Thank you that you have loved me and you kept pursuing me even in my wandering. Thank you that in your mercy you forgave me and in your grace you restored me in order that I could be yours. I confess that I have blown it and I've sinned, that I've messed up. And I believe that you died on the cross taking my punishment in order that I could be forgiven. I believe you did that for me. So would you come into my life and be the savior of my soul? be the new king of my life in order that I might walk and live the way that you want me to. Change me from the inside out and help me to love you because you have loved me first. For those who prayed that prayer, I just want to ask you to take your own words and just tell Jesus that you want to grow in your relationship with him. For others of us in here, let's pray as we come to the table where the body of our friend and the blood of our friend was broken and spilled. Let's pray that we would understand what he has done for us. Let's pray for another minute and then we'll continue as we come to the table of grace. a healer, 
Thank you that you want to do all those things for us. Thank you that you're the Savior of the world. For all who put their trust in you, the invitation is extended to all. To give us faith and give us humility to express our need for you and to come before you in humble adoration. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our friend. We love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.